A shooting in Colorado this morning leaves me with many more questions than answers, so we'll discuss what happened there and some of the aftermath that comes with that. Spring break has turned into a festival of arrests, so we'll talk a bit about what's happening down there in Miami. The Democrats have said that maybe we shouldn't go to try and overturn an election that has some shady undertones sitting behind it. So we'll talk just a bit about what's going on there, and Elon Musk and Bernie Sanders get into it. All this and more. Hey, 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 do you trust the plan yet? I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. I have no live chat up here. We gotta change that before we get started into any of this here. Let me grab that down here because I just realized that right now. So let's get that up and going here. But welcome to Contemporary, everybody. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today. And it uh, the whole news cycle just kind of turned south right at the... I looked at uh, what was going on yesterday before we started the Red and Ed show. And uh, I said, okay, well, it's going to be a struggle once again to go back and try to find stuff to do for Contemporary today. But, uh, well, then we got... The news that happened while we were on the air with Contemporary, and I got blocked by Vote Blue uh, Pennsylvania because I questioned the narrative he was post, uh, putting forward here. But we'll talk about all of what was happening with this. We'll talk about everything else that goes along with that and all the other stuff that we see here. But before we get started, make sure that you go over and bookmark the website, freedomscoop.com. We are still under construction right now, but we are going to be premiering the website on April 17th on our 24-hour live stream. It looks like we just booked up a bunch of guests last night. Elaine and I were talking about this after we went off air last night, and uh, there's a bunch of people that are sitting here ready to come on and talk about their experiences with uh, suicide and how they feel would be best to prevent it. This was... This was huge. I have also found a charity at this point. I talked with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It does look like we are going to be utilizing them for the end of this charity at this point. Um, I will keep you posted if something changes along the way. But yes, as of right now, it looks like we are all set getting ready to go. And I think we've got everything booked. So now it's just scheduling and trying to figure out how to get everything up and going and how to take care of my breaks as well, because that was something else we discussed. But also, make sure that you go over and check out my friends, The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The Freckles and Brit Show, and The R-Rated Conservative over there on the Freedom Scoop Network. We will be up and running once again next month. So you can go over there and check out uh, some of our swag and pick up some of that to help us support great creators. Wow, I kind of sound like Joe Biden right now. but it, and I, I got hairy legs and corn pop and it, the straight razor and he's a bad dude. Yeah, I'm doing really well this morning here. All right, but we got to get into the news here and talk a bit about what's going on here. Starting with looking at the Dow for the morning here. Uh, the Dow was up throughout the day yesterday. It had a fairly significant drop at the beginning and then a fairly significant V-shaped recovery, as you will. And then just a sort of steady climb off the day here. But the futures are looking right now like that might not be a trend coming off of this. And I did archive the page this time just to make sure that we did get to read this here so we'll see what's happening there looking in on the bitcoin bitcoin dropped a little bit from yesterday now coming back down to 55,037 us dollars and 30 us cents on the bitcoin so we're back on the dip so make sure you go back and buy the dip 
I don't think we're ever going to get back down to the 30,000 mark until, until people start making it illegal willy-nilly left and right off of this, but it looks like it's going to hold steady here for a little while, and, you know, every time I say it looks like it's going to hold steady, it shoots back up, too, so what do I know? I'm just a guy that yells into a microphone. On the gas, once again, for two days in a row, we're holding steady at 253 across all Madison area gas stations, so... We'll hold there. We'll see what happens with that. I know it does look like Biden is backing off a little bit on his climate control agenda. Not as much as we saw last year, where we had a surplus of oil sitting around the world and nobody to use it. It looks like it is backing off just a little bit. So he he got smart like Obama and said, well, okay, if, if, if the gas prices get up and they get too high, then, um, well, then, you know, people hate the, the high gas prices, so... Hmm. We, we got to start the Keystone once again and get this going here because we got to keep those gas prices at a moderate level. We, we can't have them low because, you know, people might drive and they might have climate change, but we've got to have them at a moderate level. Otherwise, you know, up, up, people, people might revolt. I know that, I, I know my advisors tell me they won't revolt because I'm the first black president, but yep, 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 yep. All right. So, yeah, it does look like he's backing off a little bit and they're holding. So we'll see what happens with that. All right, let's see what IBD has to say, and as long as they're going to be nice to me, we'll use the original article here, but I've got the archive version if they decide that they do want to slap me back around here. Dow Jones futures fall. Are tech stocks back? Three tech giants lead stock market rally. From Scott Latonin. Dow Jones futures, along with S&P 500 futures, fell early Tuesday, while tech futures turned higher as Treasury yields eased from recent highs. Tesla stock, Applied Materials, and NVIDIA led the stock market rally on Monday. On Monday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average advanced 0.3%, the S&P 500 rose 0.7%, while the tech-heavy Nasdaq outperformed, rising 1.2% even after slashing gains. Among the Dow Jones leaders, Apple rose 2.8%, while Microsoft moved up 2.45% in today's stock market. Boeing is back in a buy range following a recent breakout, while Nike gained back a portion of Friday's tumble. Tesla surged as much as 6.8% on Monday after a big price target hike at ARK Invest before cutting gains. Among the top stocks to watch, chip leaders Applied Materials, ASML, MKS Instruments, NVIDIA, and Corvo are in or near buy zones in the current stock market rally. Meanwhile, Alphabet, uh, Wayfair are also approaching new buy points. Hey, go to Wayfair and get your kids. Oh, wait, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. We know it didn't happen because it came out of the news as soon as people started talking about it again and that certain thing with the cheese pie and the fence door. That just went away. No, no don't worry about any of that. Alphabet was featured in this week's Stocks Near a Buy Zone column, while Wayfair was Monday's IBD50 Stocks to Watch pick. Alphabet, Microsoft, and NVIDIA are IBD leaderboard stocks. MKS Instruments was Tuesday's IBD Stock of the Day. On the futures, ahead of the stock market open on Tuesday, Dow futures fell 0.4% versus fair value, while S&P 500 futures lost 0.4%. NASDAQ 100 futures moved up 0.1%, and remember... Actual trading in Dow Jones futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily tra uh, translate into trading in the next regular stock market session. On Friday, the 10-year Treasury yield spiked as high as 1.754% before closing at 1.732%.
The 10-year Treasury yield dropped under 1.7% Monday to close at 1.684%. Early Tuesday, the 10-year Treasury yield eased to 1.642%. So everything looks to be down, but we will see what happens as soon as the markets open back up. Let's see what CNBC has to say. Stock futures fall on one-year bull market anniversary. Dow futures dip 140 points. From Yoon Lee and Pippa Stevens. U.S. stock futures fell on Tuesday, one year after the bull market from the pandemic lows began, as investors took some profits in shares that will benefit most from the reopening of the economy. Futures contracts tied to the Dow Jones Industrial Average shed 136 points. S&P 500 futures lost 0.4%. NASDAQ 100 futures fell 0.2%. Shares of Carnival and Norwegian Cruise fell more than 2% each in pre-market trading. American Airlines and United Airlines fell about 2% apiece. Brick-and-mortar retailer Gap also fell slightly. That's interesting because as much as we're seeing, the vaccination will save us all, the economy will be saved, and it'll be wonderful once again just as long as we get the vaccine. And we'll be able to go on our cruises and our airlines and do all the other things we used to do. Well, it doesn't seem like that's actually the case here because, you know, now we're seeing people are still reluctant to go off and fly. People actually are still reluctant to do that. People are reluctant to go and get on that cruise ship. I would, I love the ocean. I love being on water. And I have absolutely zero desire after the commie coup broke out while people were up on a ship and there was an outbreak on the ship, I have zero, less than zero desire to get on a cruise ship and then have to stay on the cruise ship in dock for two weeks. No, I, I'm sorry. I have no desire to do that. So I can see where that's starting to come back down. I know the government's artificially trying to prop it back up at this point, but I can see where that's coming down. Viacom CBS, one of the top performers in the S&P 500 since the pandemic lows, lost 4% in pre-market trading after saying it would offer more stock for sale. The shares are up more than 700% since March. Tuesday marks the one-year anniversary of the market's bottom as the coronavirus pandemic sent stocks tumbling 30% at the fastest pace on record since the low on March 23rd. Both the S&P 500 and Dow have advanced more than 75%. The Nasdaq Composite is up more than 90%, while the Russell 2000 has surged 126%. Things have come full circle now as stocks have staged a furious rally, with new highs happening across the globe, and economy recovers at a record pace. Noted Ryan Dietrich, Chief Market Strategist at LPL Financial. The bull market is off to an amazing start, but it is important to remember it is still young. While well, a pick and uh, pickup rather in volatility would be normal at this stage of a strong bull market, we think suitable investors may want to consider buying the dip. Please buy the dip. We need to see our stocks go back up. Vaccine distribution, fiscal and monetary stimulus, and a robust economic recovery all have our confidence high. He added. On the pandemic front, the U.S. Health Agency expressed concern Tuesday that AstraZeneca may have included outdated information in trial results of its COVID-19 vaccine. Hey, make sure you get that AstraZeneca vaccine, though, guys. Go out there. Run. Run now. And go get the vaccine. You know you want it. <clears throat> the U.S. is administering about 2.5 million COVID vaccine shots every day. However, the number of new cases is increasing in 21 states as highly infectious variants spread and governors relax restrictions on businesses. 
The Dow finished Monday's session 103 points higher for a gain of 0.32%. The S&P 500 broke a two-day losing streak and advanced 0.7%. The Nasdaq Composite was the relative outperformer, jumping 1.23% for its fifth positive session in six. But once again, we are looking at, I mean, the futures on the Dow, we already uh, talked about, are down further than what the advance was on the Dow yesterday. So we'll see what happens off of this. The, it's starting to get warm. People are using less heat, so the utilities are going to go down. That's going to take a toll on the industrials, plus gas is going up, and people are still going to need to get stuff transported, but they're going to be spending more in the transport costs than what they would do in the stock. So we'll see what happens. We will see what happens off of this here. And, you know, I do hope to see the market climb, even though I dislike the policies that are coming out of the executive branch right now. I do hope to see the market climb because I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I don't want to see anybody lose their retirement. I don't want to see any of that. But I'm looking at some of this and I'm thinking there's no way that this can keep going if they continue to go down the path that they're going and send more and more jobs out to Mexico and other places around the country. Let's get into the big news of the day and prepare those F fingers because uh, we, we're going to have to throw some Fs up in the chat off of this one. Boulder shooting. Good evening. It is great to have you with us here as we come on the air no in the way. West and we... Boulder shooting, 10 deaths, including police officer Eric Talley, suspect in custody. From Emily Shapiro, Ivan Pereira, and Jeffrey Cook. At least 10 people, including a police officer, were killed in Boulder, Colorado on Monday afternoon when a gunman opened fire at a King Supers grocery store, police said. The slain officer has been identified by police as 51-year-old Eric Talley. He had been a member of the Boulder Police Department since 2010. A law enforcement source told ABC News that officers initially responded to a report of somebody being shot in the parking lot of the supermarket, and when they arrived on the scene, a suspect carrying a long gun opened fire on them. Tally was the first officer to arrive on the scene, where he was fatally shot. A suspect was wounded during the confrontation with police and taken into custody, according to Boulder Police Department Commander Kerry Yamaguchi, who did not immediately reveal the individual's name or motive for the deadly shooting. The suspect was transported to an area hospital to be treated for injuries. There are no additional suspects at this time, Yamaguchi said. Boulder Police Chief Maris Harold fought back tears on Monday evening, a press conference during which he praised Tally for its heroic action in responding to the incident after the police department received 911 calls of shots fired and a possible person with a patrol rifle. Our hearts go out to the victims of this horrific act, uh, incident, Harold said. Officer Talley responded to the scene, which, uh, was first on the scene, and he was fatally shot. Several other law enforcement agencies responded to the scene, including SWAT teams. Without that quick response, we don't know if there would have been more loss of life, Yamaguchi told reporters at the press conference on Monday evening. Matthew Kirsch, acting U.S. Attorney for the District of Colorado, pledged that the full weight of federal law enforcement will support the investigation. He said agents from the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives were at the crime scene. Both Yamaguchi and the Boulder District Attorney, Michael, Michael Dougherty, said they would be releasing more information on the deceased victims, including the exact number of victims, within the coming hours. After they notify families, the Boulder Police Department later posted an update on Twitter saying the next press conference would be Tuesday at 8.30 a.m. local time. So 
probably about the time that we're getting done with uh, the program here this morning, they'll be doing their press conference. Boulder has suffered a terrible and horrific mass shooting today, Doherty told reporters at the press conference on Monday evening. This is not the first mass shooting that we have had in the state of Colorado. My heart goes out to Eric Kelly's family, his loved ones, and his colleagues, the district attorney said. His life was cut far too short. I also want to stress how incredibly sorry I am for all the victims killed today at King Supers. These were people going about their day shopping and their lives were cut abruptly and tragically short by the shooter who is now in custody. I promise the victims and the people of Colorado that we will secure justice. So there's a lot going on here. I want to touch on a couple things before I get into uh, some commentary off of this. And okay, just one more thing I wanted to before I talk about where I stand on this because I'm going to throw the F's up for these people because they shouldn't have died, but this just seems so convenient right now. And so much else that went along with this as well. But I wanna to touch on what Washington Post had to say first. Where democracy goes to die in darkness. Boulder's assault weapons ban meant to stop mass shootings was blocked just days before the grocery store attack. From Teo Armas, the city of Boulder, Colorado barred assault weapons in 2018 as a way to prevent mass shootings like the one that killed 17 at a high school in Parkland, Florida earlier that year. But 10 days after that ban was blocked in court, the city was rocked by its own tragedy. 10 people, including a Boulder police officer, were killed at a supermarket in the city's south end on Monday after a gunman opened fire, law enforcement officials said. As of early Tuesday, police have yet to identify the suspect or release any details about his weapon, how he purchased it, or if the ordinance would have prevented him from buying or possessing this weapon within the city limits. Police told Denver Post and CNN that he was reported to have been carrying a rifle. Yet for Don Reinfield, co-founder of Colorado gun violence prevention group Blue Rising, because of course it's fucking blue, the appalling timing of the court decision was hard to ignore. We tried to protect our city, she told the Washington Post. It's so tragic to see legislation struck down and days later to have our city experience exactly what we're trying to prevent. Rachel Friend, a city council member, made a similar observation on Twitter, adding that she was heartsick and angry and mostly so, so sad. But the Colorado State Shooting Association, one of the plaintiffs that sued Boulder over the assault weapons ban, rejected that sentiment, arguing in a statement that emotional sensationalism about gun laws would cloud remembrance of victims. There will be a time for the debate on gun laws. There will be a time for the discussion on motives. There will be a time for conversation on how this could have been prevented, the group said in a statement. But today is not that time. It's not. The three-year court fight over Boulder's ordinance seems likely to preview a similar public debate over whether new gun control measures are warranted after the latest attack in a part of the country that has seen many such incidents with several politicians already calling for legislative responses on Monday. So a lot going on here, a lot of things to talk about with this and a lot to consider as we look into this. Now, the first thing that I wanna point out, I mean, this is the tired old trope that you hear the right wingers talk about, but it's absolutely true in this case. Everything that the shooter did yesterday was illegal 100% illegal not only for the fact that he killed people that's already illegal 
And we can't go back and make it super, super duper, extra special secret illegal. We can't do that. However, when we look at something like this, it's happening in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado was working on the assault weapons ban. Okay, that wasn't that hadn't gone through yet. That was challenged in court. But they have magazine restrictions. They have universal background checks. And they have, I mean, I'm sorry, that was in a gun-free zone on top of all this. So there's three laws, three gun laws, that decided that, yes, this guy should not have been carrying a weapon. This weapon. And he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. Three of them right there that this guy broke already. And this is the most important part off of this. It's a cliche at this point, but criminals do not follow gun laws. They don't follow any law. That's why they're criminals. Well, they follow some laws, but they don't, they don't follow the law. They're, they're criminals. They're going out to commit a crime. The thing that we need to focus on is the evil in the person's heart. But also notice the fact that I mentioned already this happened in a gun-free zone. With numerous restrictions already in place to make sure. And I keep thinking, I keep going back to this. You never see something like this happen in a well-armed zone. And I talked about this right at the beginning of my channel. When I first turned on the camera for the very first time, the little Logitech 270 that's sitting up on the top of my screen right there, from the very first time I turned that on, I've said the same thing. I come from a small town in northern Wisconsin, a very tiny town. And I went to school in a slightly larger town that was four towns over. Now, at the time when I was going to school, at any given time, on any given day, there were probably two to 250 cars in the parking lot in the surrounding area at any given time on any given day. And at any given time on any given day, there were 50 to 75 guns in those cars. Cased and unloaded per Wisconsin law at the time, completely legally able to be owned. And they weren't there for any sort of school assault. They were there in case the farm kids were coming home and they saw a coyote trying to get into the cow pen or the pig pen or something and they needed to take care of it as they were coming home from school. That's the reason that they were there. But you also never see, like the school shootings, you never see those happen in a rural outskirts town where that would be the case. Because some nut job and it's not that there were not nut jobs in the schools. There were. But every nut job was well respected or respected the the power of the people in the school enough that he knew that if he did try to do something, he would be facing down fifty to seventy five barrels immediately because everybody would jump up out of class and start running for their cars to go back and try to defend their fellow students. You don't see this kind of thing in hard targets, hardened targets. Now, I'm sure that number has gone down over the years because, you know, more people are moving into the actual city limits where I went to school. And there, you know, there's less and less farming as we go up. But, you know, that, that was always the case. You wouldn't dare try to do something like that in a harder target like that. But now we're sitting here in a fully gun-free zone where a lot of people are going to back and respect it. That's a soft target. It's easy pickings. 
the guy went in here knowing that there was nobody who was going to shoot back. It's the same thing with military bases. Military personnel are, for the most part, disarmed on a military base at this point. And we saw a couple of that down in Florida last year, a couple of years ago at this point. We saw that where a few people went in and started shooting up the military base, knowing that they were going to face no resistance. The malls, the grocery store. There's so much going off on this, and they want to come out and make new laws. And let's not forget the fact right now that this comes in the wake of the fact that H.R. 8 is also going through the House of Representatives, ready to go to the Senate, with an extreme amount of pressure sitting on Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin to change their minds about the filibuster so they can hammer that through with Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker. This whole thing just seems way too convenient right now. But that's what we see for that. And F's in the chat for the people who did lose their lives from this. That's one thing I do have to say about that. F's in absolute F's in the chat for the people who lost their lives from this. I hate the fact that they might become uh, a series of political pawns. But it does seem like that's the direction we're going to go with this. So my condolences out to their families. My thoughts and prayers are with them. I know Jeff Tiedrich's like, you useless thoughts and prayers. Well, my thoughts and prayers are with them. I don't give a fuck what Jeff Tiedrich has to say. But that's what we saw from this. And we're going to have to throw a few more Fs up at this point. Uh, because from Fox 5 in New York, deadly fire rips through New York assisted listen, uh, living facility. From Fox 5 New York staff. At least one resident is dead in a massive blaze at a senior living facility in Rockland County after flames erupted inside the building early on Tuesday morning. Video from the scene at the 200 capacity Evergreen Court Home for Adults in Spring Valley shows the fire engulfing the building. 20 to 25 residents had to be rescued, said Rockland County Fire Coordinator Chris Keir. A portion of the large structure had collapsed. It was unclear if anyone was trapped inside or how many residents were living at the facility. There were unconfirmed reports of an explosion heard after the fire broke out just before 1 a.m. Two fighters were injured, including one firefighter who suffered a heart attack and was taken to a ho local hospital. One of the injured was treated and released. The resident who died was declared dead at the hospital. Dozens of firefighters remain on the scene, battling pockets of flames. Video of some of the residents being evacuated by bus and taken to different locations was shared online as a means to help loved ones identify them. Picture everyone that's here. I know I have, I have some uh, um, New York people that watch the show occasionally, so just in case, we'll get the message out there. Picture everyone that's here. Everyone. All right, so just in case anybody knows there, uh, Evergreen Court is located about 45 minutes away from New York City. So this is a developing story. Um, obviously, this is top news on The Blaze, and that's where I found this because, you know, we're sitting here talking about New York nurse, uh, nursing homes. I don't suspect any foul play for this personally. I'm not an investigator. My opinion doesn't really hold any weight to the investigation at all, but I don't suspect any foul play on this, but... Um, once again, F's in the chat for the woman who uh, passed away and the firefighter who was injured and everybody else who was injured for this. And we hope that everybody gets a full recovery and winds up to be uh, safe from this. 
All right, let's keep going. I've got one here from Newsweek. Florida's Matt Gates gives spring break warning as Miami Beach arrests past a thousand from Jack Dutton. Matt Gates, representative for Florida's 1st Congressional District, gave a staunch warning ahead of the spring break party season as more than a thousand people were arrested in Miami Beach ahead of the event, about twice the amount that were arrested last year. If you want to come to our state and enjoy freedom, go to a restaurant, go to the beach, go fishing, get a little weird. Not too weird. Then as we say in the Deep South, y'all come. But if you're coming to cause damage and harm, you'll be held accountable. He said on Fox News in an interview with Sean Hannity. When asked by Hannity to elaborate on getting a little weird, Gates said, Maybe a little bit of body paint here and there, maybe throw some beads, but don't hurt anybody. Yeah, you remember that stupid shit? The Florida Grim Reaper guy that was trying to guilt the people off the beach because of the commie fucking goof? His warning comes as more than a thousand people were arrested ahead of the event, many of them from outside of Florida. Miami Beach officials have implemented an 8 p.m. till 6 a.m. curfew and a state of emergency until April 12th in response to the throngs of young people partying in the streets. The curfew is in place for four days a week from Thursday to Sunday for three more weeks. The chaos flared up on the South Beach Strip on Saturday night, prompting police officers, many wear, uh, wearing riot gear rather, to use pepper balls. Miami Beach police said on Sunday that they had made over 50 arrests and confiscated eight firearms over the weekend. That's disconcerting because usually you don't see a lot of firearms with spring break traffic, especially if they're going into another state. Pay attention to. Videos show revelers climbing on cars, fighting in the streets, stampedes, and police intimidation, prompting a crackdown in recent weeks. Besides the arrests since February, at least five officers were injured trying to contain the crowds. The Centers for Disease Control have issued guidelines for beaches, which include suggestions for beachgoers to wear face coverings, avoid crowds, and stay at least six feet away from people they don't live with. But in Miami, the streets have often remained crowded with thousands of maskless people and many not adhering to other COVID-19 rules. Too many are coming, really, without the intention of following the rules, and the result has been a level of chaos and disorder. That is just something we can endure. I'm some sorry, something more than we can endure. Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gilbert told CNN on Monday, the curfew affects South Beach's uh, South South Beach's South Beach's main strips on Ocean Drive, Washington Avenue, Collins Avenue, and Española Way from Fifth to Sixteenth Streets. In the Fox interview, Gates also disclosed that he let his adopted son Nestor go on spring break in Florida, COVID post uh, hotspot Panama City Beach, in return for not being allowed to go to prom or have a real graduation. So his kid is in there. Well, not his kid, but uh, the kid that lives with him is going down there, and he said, okay, it's okay for you to go to Panama Beach, but Miami, hey, be careful in Miami, you guys, okay? And I do have to sit here and wonder now at this point if there might be something else going on here that uh, the news media doesn't want to come back and say because firearms at spring break is usually not a big thing that happens with spring break, especially... I mean, even in Miami, you don't see a lot of guns going on with that. People are just going out there. A lot of them are too young to even go out and get a handgun when they go there. They're just going there to get fucking drunk, dance with each other, bang each other, and then go home and try to regret what happened while they were all down there. And now we're seeing fights break out and people beat each other and guns being confiscated. And yeah, there is a... 
There's something else going on here, and that's kind of making me nervous for this. I've got one here from NBC News. Spring Breakers accused of drugging, raping woman who later died in Miami Beach. From Tim Stello. Two Spring Breakers from North Carolina were arrested and accused of drugging, raping, and stealing from a woman who died later at a hotel in Miami Beach, Florida, authorities said on Monday. The men, Evoir Collier and Dorian Taylor, now face charges of sexual battery, burglary, and other crimes, court records show. They remain in custody, a bond amount not listed on Monday evening. Officials in Miami Beach have struggled to handle waves of beachgoers who have flocked to the area since last month. There have been more than a thousand arrests since February, and on Sunday, the city imposed a new curfew and other restrictions that could last until mid-April. Citing police records, NBC Miami reported that Collier and Taylor were seen on surveillance video entering the Albion Hotel on Thursday with a 24-year-old woman. Reported Collier and Taylor left without the woman and were later stopped and arrested. During a bond hearing on Monday, a prosecutor said the woman was so inebriated when she entered the hotel that she wouldn't have been able to give consent. It was immediately clear when or why the uh, woman died. Circuit Judge Mindy Glazer said that one of the defendants acknowledged having given the woman a green pill with the character's 830 on it, but that it wasn't clear what was in the pill and that the toxicology report was pending. Authorities accused Collier and Taylor of using credit cards stolen from the woman after they left the hotel. NBC Miami reported. Yeah, these seem like a couple of really, really nice guys. But, you know, here we are sitting out in Florida and nobody knows what's going on. People are getting arrested left and right. And, you know, once again, I think there's going to be more going on to this than just spring break. It does seem like this is a little bit of a bigger, especially since it's going on since February now. Spring break doesn't start until, what is it, the week before Easter? So we'll see what happens with that and what comes out of that. I've got one here from Local10.com. Local leaders question whether race is playing a role in the increase of Miami Beach police activity during spring break. From Amy Viteri. Major changes have been announced in Miami Beach in an attempt to control rowdy spring break crowds. After multiple attempts to disperse the crowds on Saturday night, pepper balls were fired in South Beach as police tried to enter, I'm sorry, tried enforcing an 8 p.m. curfew. All the causeways leading into Miami Beach will continue to be closed from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m., with the exception of residents, workers, and hotel guests. On Sunday night, crowds again were packed in tight on Ocean Drive. The party then moved to several side streets where people were spotted dancing on top of cars, some of them which, uh, were left with cracked windshields and other damage. Champagne bottles were also left thrown on top of vehicles along with plenty of other trash left throughout the area. Some local black leaders are critical of the city of Miami Beach because of how severe the crackdown has been on spring breakers. They believe it has to do with the race of many of the visitors. Miami-Dade NAACP President Danielle Pierre argues the city's amped-up police presence and aggressive enforcement of curfew with little notice to visitors sends an unwelcoming message and only adds to tensions. They're met with heavy police presence. Right, they're met with street closures. They're met with closed parking lots, Pierre said. What are you targeting? Is it crime or is it a culture? Miami Beach Police Chief Rick Clements told Local 10 News the environment this year is different and crowds have been challenging officers trying to make arrests. 
COVID has a lot of people pent up for quite some time, well over a year, he said. I think they're coming here to unwind a little bit, but I think they're also pushing the gambit of obeying the rules. Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gelber said the enforcement is about public safety. Just look at the videos, Gelber said. We're not targeting groups of people. We are targeting conduct. So, once again, a lot of stuff going on over here. We don't know, perhaps, and I'm still more curious as to why this is all of a sudden starting to happen in mass droves and why we're first hearing about this this week. Because if this has been going on since February, we should have been hearing about this long, long ago, but... Once again, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see where this goes, and we'll continue to watch the story as it develops because spring break season is long from over, and we'll see what happens with that. All right, I've got one from the Associated Press. Iran threatens U.S. Army post and top general from James Laporta. Iran has made threats against Fort McNair, an Army post in the U.S. Capitol, and against the Army's vice chief of staff, Two senior U.S. intelligence officials said, There is no way they are that dumb. It'd be smarter to try to go after President Trump at this point. It would be smarter for them to try to go into Mar-a-Lago against all the Secret Service than to try to go against a military base in Washington, D.C., they said communications intercepted by the National Security Agency in January showed that Iran's Revolutionary Guard discussed mounting USS Cole-style attacks against the Army Post, referring to the October 2000 suicide attacks in which a small boat pulled up alongside the Navy destroyer in the Yemeni port of Aden and exploded, killing 17 sailors. The intelligence also revealed threats to General Joseph M. Martin and plans to infiltrate and surveil the installation, according to the officials, who were not authorized to publicly discuss national security matters and spoke on condition of anonymity. The Army Post, one of the oldest in the country, is Martin's official residence. The threats are one reason the Army has been pushing for more security around Fort McNair, which sits alongside Wisconsin's, uh, Wisconsin's Washington's bustling, newly developed waterfront district. City leaders have been fighting the Army's plan to add a buffer zone of about 250 feet to 500 feet from the shore of Washington's uh, channel, which would limit access to as much as half the width of the busy waterway running parallel to the Potomac River. The Pentagon, National Security Council, and NSA either did not reply or declined to comment when contacted by the AP. There is no way the Revolutionary Guard is that dumb. There's no way. I mean, anything's possible at this point, but there's no, that is, that is a step beyond right there. We're going to go right into the Capitol and take over a military base and try to kill the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yeah, no, I don't buy that for a second. Like I said, with, especially with the arrest warrant that they had Interpol put out, they would be smarter to go to Mar-a-Lago against the Secret Service and try to take out the former president. And that's not exactly a smart idea either. But to go into one of the most secured cities in the country, on one of the most secured installations in the country, after one of the highest ranking members of the military in the country, I don't see that going well. I don't. All right, let's keep going. From Politico. Dems sound alarm at prospect of overturning Iowa race. 
from Ali Mutnick and Sarah Ferris and Melanie Zanona. The prospect of a floor vote to overturn a contested congressional race in Iowa has suddenly become a real dilemma for House Democrats' most vulnerable members. Moderate Democrats are privately squirming over the possibility that they could be forced to choose a winner in the race for Iowa's 2nd District, where the GOP candidate, now Representative Marinette Miller-Meeks, won by just six votes. The smallest margin of any candidates in decades, her opponent, Rita Hart, declined to appeal through state channels and instead took her challenge directly to the Democrat-run House, where she had a friendly ear and a friendly audience, and Nancy Pelosi. I want to stop right there and just tell you that the House of Representatives should not be picking a representative. No, 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 no. We don't see, we do not need to set this precedent. No. The House of Representatives should never, ever, ever be picking a representative. A handful of nervous Democrats have spoken up publicly as the House Administration Committee reviews the case, but behind the scenes, more moderates are voicing concern about the dynamics of possibly unseating a GOP lawmaker, particularly after they hammered Republicans for trying to do just that to President Joe Biden, which led to... They're going to say it. They're actually going to say it. A deadly insurrection in the U.S. Capitol. The topic even surfaced at a call on Monday between Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee officials and the party's most vulnerable members, a discussion that at times grew tense as lawmakers aired concerns about the looming committee decision. As I've said before in connection with the 2020 presidential election, legislators should be heeding the state certifications of their election, said Representative Susan Wilde of Pennsylvania, a swing district Democrat who spoke up at the DCCC call Unless there is a rampant error and substantial evidence thereof, I do not believe it is the role of the House members to uh, dictate the outcomes of elections. Yes. But also keep in mind that this woman is in a swing district, and uh, she may get punished outright at the ballot box if she actually gets going along with this, which I think a lot of these people that we're going to talk about are considering at this point. Representative Josh Gottheimer, co-chair of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, added in a statement to Politico, I have deep reservations. Senior Democrats say those concerns are overblown, arguing that Hart is going through a constitutional process, unlike Trump and his allies. They say the House Administration Committee will carefully review Hart's challenge, which centers around 22 ballots that she said were improperly rejected, and if counted, would make her the victor, and that she carries the burden of proof. Still, roughly a half-dozen Democrats are privately expressing reservations about the House taking up Hart's challenge, enough to sink any vote on the floor, according to multiple sources familiar with the conversations. Some vulnerable Democrats plan to conduct an informal whip count among their own members this week to sound out exactly how many colleagues might oppose unseating Miller-Meeks if the issue does come to the floor. Which, we do need to sit back, we actually need to sit back and discuss this. Whether or not the House has the power to come back and say, Okay, we don't want you. We want the other person. After the fact. Now, if we're sitting here before the certification, then yes, let's get every challenge out there. Let's figure out. So make sure that, you know, to borrow uh, words from the Democrats, let's make sure that every vote is counted. Let's make sure that everything is above board, ready to go. But once that state board certifies, and especially once the congressperson is sworn in, I don't like the fact that there's a way to come back and try to overturn this once again. I don't like the fact that there's so many trust the planners out there that think that there's a way to do this with the presidency after he sat in. 
Elections do have consequences. And I accept that. I don't accept Joe Biden as the legitimate president of the United States. But I understand that there's no way to do anything about it until 2024. He's been seated. He's sitting in power. And it's time to hunker down, laugh at his gaffes, meme him out of existence, and then to make sure that it doesn't happen again in 2024. And instead of trying to go back and hold on to that raise within margin, Nancy Pelosi should be sitting here and figuring out the strategy to try and hold on to her own power up in 2022 because statistically, the presidency loses seats in the House every single time, every single midterm. So that's what she needs to be focused on, not trying to pad up her numbers by eliminating Marjorie Taylor Greene and trying to overturn this election. So we will see what happens with that. All right, I got one from Ron Johnson, who's considerably left and right making a fool out of himself. And I really hope he holds to his promise that he's not seeking a third term at this point. Because he's kind of become an ass at this point. But I also think that he's drank the Beltway water at this point, and I'm pretty sure that he's going to come back out and uh, run again for his third term. GOP Senator Ron Johnson falsely claimed Greenland only recently froze and now admits he has no idea about its history. I do not get not, um Oh, there we go. Eliza Relman is the author on this one. In an attempt to undermine climate science, Senator Ron Johnson falsely claimed in 2010 that Greenland, a largely ice-covered island, was named for its once green landscapes. Johnson, a Wisconsin Republican, told the New York Times, a former newspaper last week, that he had no idea how Greenland got its name. You know, there's a reason Greenland was called Greenland, Johnson told Madison News outlet WKOW in 2010. It was actually green at one point in time, and it's been, you know, since the whole lot whiter now since we experienced climate change throughout geologic time. In reality, Eric Thorvaldsen, a Viking settler known as Eric the Red, gave Greenland a misleading name in the hopes of attracting Europeans to the island. The Danish territory has been covered in ice and glaciers for at least two and a half million years. This is a bit of an odd story. I didn't realize that from the way the headline was worded out and the tweet that came along with this, and I didn't read the article before coming into this, it sounded like he came out like last week and said that Greenland used to be covered by green, lush jungles. And no, we've all known that since we were in elementary school, that they called Greenland Greenland to keep people away from Iceland, which is actually more fertile and better able to hold and sustain life. So, good on you, Ron Johnson. This is a non-story. From Politico, White House yanks interior nominee after Murkowski opposition. From Ben Lefebvre, Lefebvre, how would you pronounce that? L-E-F-E-B-V-R-E. I have no idea. I'm not even going to try. Sorry, Ben. The White House has withdrawn its nomination of Elizabeth Klein to become the Interior Department's Deputy Secretary, as the Biden admin faced pushback from Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski, sources familiar with the situation said on Monday. 
Klein is a former Obama administration official and deputy director of the State Energy and Environmental Impact Center at the New York University School of Law. That's a lot of words who focused on renewable energy and climate change issues. The Biden admin pulled her nomination after hearing of opposition coming from Murkowski. A moderate Republican whose vote is crucial to Biden's legislative agenda and who has sought to expand the oil and gas industry in her state, one of the sources familiar with the matter said. The White House and spokesman for the Department of Interior did not immediately respond to questions. A spokesperson for Murkowski did not reply to a request for, uh, for comment. A spokesman for Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat, who chairs the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, that would have considered Klein's nomination did not immediately answer questions. Tommy Bodro, a former Interior official under the Obama administration and Alaska native, is being vetted for a possible nomination as Deputy Secretary and two people familiar with the matter. Murkowski floated Bodro's name as possible replacement for Klein, the people said. Bodro is currently a lawyer at law firm Latham & Watkins Environmental Land and Resources Development and global co-chair of the firm's project sitting and approvals practice. Bodro did not re uh, reply to a voice message. So, I mean, good on the fact that the Biden admin is coming out and saying, well, we can't sell this person, so we're just going to pull her back. Good on them for that, but this does reek a little bit more because we're... we're what do we talk about all the time on the show? The filibuster. The filibuster, the filibuster, the filibuster. That's what we talk about constantly on this program. Because that is what's standing in the way of Biden's legislative agenda. When by Biden's administrate, uh, legislative agenda, rather. I mean the agenda of the administration that's sitting behind him, that's just sitting there licking their chops and waiting for Kamala Harris to be installed. But if they want to push some of this crap through, and they know they're not going to get Cinnamon Mansion on board, they need to go and try to sell this to other Republicans. Unless they get down to the point of the filibuster, which I think that's what they're going for. I think they're trying to convince uh, Murkowski to say, hey, hey, look at the fact. We, we, saved your, we saved your state. We saved the industry in your state. Hey, you know that filibuster that uh, Manchin says that he won't vote to end? Yeah. You know what to do. You know what to do. Do the right thing, Lisa Murkowski. I think there's a lot of that going on at this point. Trying to pull Murkowski and Romney in to replace Cinema and Mansion and try to get that filibuster eliminated so they can just jam it right down your fucking throat. Or up your ass, depending on which you're interested in. And as I always say on the filibuster, imagine having an agenda so good. Your agenda is so good that you don't have to worry about trying to sell it to your opponents. You can just ram it right down their throats. So we will see what happens with that, and we'll see if Bodro actually gets to be the nominee. All right, from the Hill, USDA increasing SNAP benefits with pandemic relief funds from Joseph Choi. The U.S. Department of Agriculture announced Monday that it would be increasing Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program benefits, also known as food stamps, by 15% through funds from the Democrats' $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill. I know. I read it. According to a press release from the White House, 
The increase will provide around $3.5 billion to 41 million people in households experiencing food insecurity, working out to an average of $28 more per person every month, varying from state to state. We cannot sit by and watch food insecurity grow in the United States, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack said in a release. The American Rescue Plan brings help to those hurting the most due to the pandemic. It increases SNAP benefits to households, can afford to put food on the table, it invests in working people and small towns and small businesses to get the economy back on track, and it makes the most meaningful investment in generations to reduce poverty. So, you're going to see your food stamps go up, but honestly, if we got everything opened back up and we got the government up out of the way, we wouldn't need as many food stamps. And I'm not against the spending of this because the government, this is, <clears throat> this is the situation that Shapiro comes out and talks about. Okay, gang, the government dropped the F-150 through your house and now they have to pay for the damage in the house. That's the kind of spending that is paying for the damage of the house. But remember, there's billions upon billions and possibly a trillion dollars of relief that was in this bill that has nothing to do with COVID relief. Nothing at all. All right, let's keep going. From the Daily Wire, the media is only upset about Biden's border blackout because this time they're the ones in the dark. From Ian Haworth. In a lengthy Twitter thread from John Moore, a special correspondent for Getty Images and author of Undocumented, Immigration and the Militarization of the U.S.-Mexico Border, he explained that the Biden administration is preventing the media from gaining access to border operations as the Biden immigration crisis continues to grow. I respectfully ask U.S. Customs and Border Protection to stop blocking media access to their border operations. Moore began in a Twitter thread on Friday. I have photographed CB, uh, CBP under Bush, Obama, and Trump, but now zero access is granted to media. These long lens images taken from the Mexican side. That's what we see from there. Moore then added that there's no modern precedent for a full physical ban on media access to CBP border operations. Hmm. It's really interesting because it's almost once again, like a lot of you were warned that this was going to happen. They haven't fixed anything. They haven't fixed a damn thing about the border. In fact, it seems that they've made it worse. They're just going to stop telling you about it. They're going to stop reporting on it. And credit to the media at this point. They're trying to report on it. They're trying damn hard to report on this. I never thought that I would say give credit to the mainstream media. Of course, they're going to go back and put their spin on it because that's what the mainstream media does. But all credit to them. They are trying at this point. They're, very, they're trying very hard. And they're being stymied by the executive branch to do so. And there is definitely something wrong with that. We have freedom of the press for a reason. Because the American people need to know what's going on in this country. Not just what is nice and sweet and fun and flowery to the administration. This clear iron-fisted attempt to prevent the media from shining a light on the Biden admin's abject failure at the southern border stands after incontrovertible proof that the media lauded promises of Jen Psaki after Biden's inauguration were laughable nonsense. Remember that on January 20th, the White House press secretary committed to bringing truth and transparency back to the briefing room and that rebuilding trust with the American people will be central to our focus in the press office and the White House every single day. 
and yet we have no transparency whatsoever. A nice big opaque brick wall and you can't see a goddamn thing of what's going on with this. Alright, I got another one here from Politico. Trump looks to take down Raffensperger in Georgia. From Alex Isenstadt and Zach Montalaro. Former President Trump on Monday endorsed Representative Jody Heiss in a campaign to unseat Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in the next year's Republican primary, saying that, unlike the incumbent, Jody leads out front with integrity. Trump publicly seethed about Raffensperger after the November election when the Secretary of State refused to support Trump's false claims that Georgia's 16 electoral votes were stolen from him. Top Raffensperger aides had publicly rebuked the president's conspiracy theories, warning in early December that they would lead to potential violence. The then-president aggressively pressured Raffensperger, No, he didn't! Including in an early January call when Trump told Raffensperger that he should find a specific, a specific number of votes so he could reverse Joe Biden's victory. No, the Washington Post just, just corrected that! Like, Tuesday! A week ago today! They just... They're going to keep running with this fucking narrative over and over again. While the Washington Post gets to silently put a correction out and hope and pray that the blaze doesn't see it. No! That is not what happened. That is not what happened. And you know it. God damn it, you know it. The call has exposed Trump to potential legal consequences with Georgia prosecutors investigating whether he improperly tried to influence an election result. Heiss, who first won election to his east-central Georgia seat in 2014, is a staunch Trump ally who supported Trump's efforts to overturn the election. He derided the Democratic-led push to impeach Trump over his role in the January 6th Capitol riots as bogus, which they were. Unfortunately, I think this is what we're going to start to see at this point. The opportunity is there. At this point right now, early in this administration, given the fact that the House of Representatives has pushed out H.R. 1, H.R. 8, and H.R. 176 at this point, the opportunity is there, and everybody knows full well that the Biden administration and subsequently the Harris administration is going to be one of the most authoritarian administrations in history. Everybody knows that at this point. This, it's not a conspiracy theory. We're already seeing it happen. Which is why they're trying to reverse the filibuster so they can just jam it back down our throats and hopefully that they never have to lose an election again. I stand by what I said last week of how they want to get punished. I'm not going to repeat it here because we don't want to get on a Susan Wiki Wiki's nerves this late in the show, but I stand by what I said with that. The opportunity is there to make a coalition with libertarians at this point. Because we're going to sit here versus with authoritarianism and big government versus freedom. The opportunity is to sell, but we're not going to go that direction. Because a lot of these people that are over on the Republican side, it appears at this point, don't want to be free. They either want to be ruled by a neocon and go back to war or ruled by a Trump. But either way, still authoritarianism up at the top. So yes, we're going to see the big battle come down between neocons and the mega people. 
as Trump tries to become the kingmaker coming on and force the party to bend to his whim, even if he can't be the president, that he's still going to be the one in charge off of this. And we see freedom die for another generation. All right. Speaking of the Donald, I can't believe I got two articles on the Donald for this today. Um, from August Takala, who tweets out, most ex-presidents do not weigh in at this level. Why do you feel like you need to? Trump, you called me. Let's listen to this. Most presidents, ex-presidents like yourself, do not weigh in at this level. Why did you feel like you needed to on this issue? Well, you called me. I didn't call you, in all fairness. But the reason I weigh in you is very simple. You wrote a statement last night. It was well, I strong. wrote a statement. I put out a statement. But the reason I weigh in is very simple. They're destroying our country. Very simple. It can't get simpler than that. They are destroying our country. And they're going to destroy it with tax increases, the likes of which nobody has ever seen before, in order to accomplish the Green New Deal nonsense. Uh, they're destroying it with woke. When China looks at woke and they see the biggest problem we have... We will listen to the rest of this. I just want to take a second and let you guys laugh out loud at the fact that President Trump is saying, woke, okay, it's the woke stuff, that's the problem, okay. 74-year-old Donald Trump, boomer Donald Trump, it's, it's woke, that's the problem, okay. ...is Dr. Seuss. In the meantime, they're building factories and trying to kill us in so many different right. ways. They laugh at us, they think we're so... Frankly, they think our country is stupid when they look at this, when our competitors look at what's going on in our country, taking down the statues to great heroes and so many other things. Now, uh, I do it because I want to do what's right, and they are destroying our country. Mr. President, the 45th president of the United States, and we did call you, and we're glad you did. Uh so that's... That was actually kind of funny, too. You called me. I didn't call you. Okay. So that's what we see from Fox. Let's keep going. I got one from CNN. Arkansas governor says he did sign a near-total abortion ban, so Supreme Court can decide if it's a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. From Devon Cole. Arkansas Republican governor said Sunday that he signed a near-total abortion ban into law earlier this month because he wants the Supreme Court to eventually consider the legislation and overturn the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling that legalized the procedure in the U.S. We don't have to go into this. We talked about this when this first came out and when the law first came out. It's just nice to get the con uh, confirmation of this. And we said this is not going to be an easy process. This doesn't the abort of uh, the ban on abortion that the left thinks is coming, which in reality, overturning Roe versus Wade wouldn't do that. It would just kick it back down to the state's level and they could uh, decide. Or, on the other hand, force Congress to make a law with that and force the congressmen to go back and face the districts. This wasn't going to be an overnight thing. It couldn't just be that Amy Coney Barrett got up one morning and said, you know what? I think I'm going to overturn Roe versus Wade today. That's not how that works. So the challenge has to go through. It's got to go through a lot of lower courts. It's got to get through the lower courts, come back through, um, get up to the top level. And then the Supreme Court actually has to take it up. But there actually has to be a case for this first, which means that 
the Arkansas governor makes the ban, and then somebody goes back and sues the Arkansas governor, and bada boom, we start heading towards the Supreme Court. All right, so that's what we have to see from that. Uh, I've got one from The Blaze. Elon Musk slaps back at Bernie Sanders for calling his wealth immoral, but the socialist senator wasn't done demonizing him. From Chris Field. It's no secret that left-wing progressive Senator Bernie Sanders, socialist Vermont, an avowed socialist, is not a big fan of America's wealthy. He has long decried the fact that the U.S. capitalist system has made it possible for citizens to amass significant wealth. Like him. Never mind that Sanders himself is a millionaire and has repeatedly defended his millionaire status, which he has disappointed many of his college-age idealistic supporters. Over the weekend, Senator Sanders got into a bit of a spat with SpaceX CEO and Tesla techno-king Elon Musk. Sanders' problem, he hates that people like Musk and Washington Post and Amazon.com owner Jeff Bezos have billions of dollars to their names. They really don't, by the way. They have billions in assets, but liquidating those assets would tank the value of those assets, just absolutely bomb them to the ground, and then they would have jack shit. According to the lawmaker, wealth, uh, Musk's wealth is a big moral issue. He tweeted Thursday, We are in a moment in American history where two guys, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, own more wealth than the bottom 40% of people in this country. That level of greed and inequality is not only immoral, it is unsustainable. Sanders' attack came one day after he and a handful of his fellow left-wing legislators introduced their tax-excessive CEO pay act, which, according to the senator's website, would hike taxes on companies that pay their top executives at least 50 times more than the pay of a median worker. In a piece for Clean Technica, which frequently covers Musk, according to the New York Post, Zachary Shahan repeated to Sanders' tweet, I'm sorry, responded to Sanders' tweet, calling the remarks ridiculous and idiotic. Shahan, who said he agrees with Sanders' overall call to address wealth inequality, took the senator to task for attacking Musk, though the Tesla chief is some short, some sort of cash-hoarding monster. Elon Musk's wealth is not gold or cash. It's not in houses or yachts. His enormous wealth comes from the fact that companies he founded have gotten so large and successful and the related fact that he doesn't sell his stock in those companies. He's so wealthy because so many investors have poured so much money into the expectation that his companies will do better and better as the years go on. Elon is not hoarding cash. He doesn't have cash to hoard. He said that he takes out loans based on his net worth and that he needs to buy, or when he needs to buy things, rather than selling stock. He isn't being greedy and just accumulating more and more cash. Musk saw the Clean Technica piece and relied to, uh, replied to Sanders' attacks in the tweet. I'm accumulating resources to help make life multiplanetary and extend the light of consciousness to the stars. Sanders naturally remained singularly focused and once again went on the attack against Musk's wealth and the obscene American inequality that it allegedly represents. Space travel is an exciting idea, but right now we need to focus on Earth and create a progressive tax system so that the children don't go hungry, people are not homeless, and all Americans have health care. That level of inequality in America is obscene and a threat to our democracy. Basically rallying up his base to come back out and say, We want stuff! Why does Elon Musk have stuff? And why don't we have stuff? Please, please give us stuff.
So that's what we're seeing coming back up out of that. Uh, just a couple more, then we'll do Twitter trending and head on out of here for the day. Sidney Powell moves to dismiss Dominion lawsuit from Axios's Shauna Chen. Sidney Powell, the pro-Trump lawyer who spread baseless claims of election fraud, moved Monday to dismiss Dominion Voting System's defamation lawsuit against her. Powell urges that in her motion that no reasonable, uh, reasonable person would conclude that her accusations of Dominion's election rigging scheme were truly statements of fact. She claims that Dominion conducted a well-orchestrated public relations campaign to save their business and that allegations against her are sparse. Her legal team also requested that the case be moved from D.C. to Texas if it isn't tossed out. Well, a part of what we're seeing from this is the fact that uh, Dominion went after Powell in D.C. because they were looking for a friendly judge to hear them. And Powell wants to take it to Texas because she's looking for a friendly judge to hear her. Over 4,000 lawyers have signed an open letter calling on bar disciplinary authorities to investigate Powell's behavior. Uh, this is this is the, the lawsuit here that they're trying to get dismissed. I will put that in the Discord for you guys if you want to uh, go and see what's going on with that. And read the entire thing, which I will be doing at a later date as well. But the defense of no reasonable person, how did you write this? No reasonable person would conclude that her accusations of Dominion's election rigging scheme were truly statements of fact. Then why the fuck were you saying them? Seriously. Why were you saying them? She's done good work. Don't get me wrong. She has done good work in the past. But this is a woman who went down the MAGA hole and lost her fucking mind. In a fairly short amount of time, too, because she was barely easily able to reverse the decision on Michael Flynn. And that was just at the beginning of last year. So in a fairly short amount of time, she went completely fucking batshit and says stupid stuff like this. This woman's career is over, and it really should be at this point. All right. I know you guys are going to love to hear about this one here from CBS News. An upcoming children's book stars a new household name as the main character. Dr. Anthony Fauci from Sophie Lewis. It's not a cult. It's not a cult. It is not a cult. A new children's book is set to detail the life of America's well, uh, most well-known doctor, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Simon & Schuster is releasing Dr. Fauci, How a Boy from Brooklyn Became America's Doctor, written by Kate Messner and illustrated by Alexandra Bai. On June 29th, it will chronicle both the doctor's life and provide information on vaccines for children. On Twitter on Sunday, Messner revealed the cover of the picture book, which features a young Fauci riding a bike in front of his family's Brooklyn store. Fauci Pharmacy, which, has, uh, which his family lived above in an apartment, as well as an illustration of the doctor as he appears today. A blurb on the book, which is now available for pre-order, calls it the definitive picture book biography for Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, who has led the nation through the COVID-19 pandemic. It's not a cult. Don't worry, it's not a cult. 
How a Boy from Brooklyn Became America's Doctor. It's not a cult. So, I'm guessing that everybody who watches this program is ready to pre-order this so they can run out on June 29th and go pick this up. Are you, are you guys ready for that? Are you excited for that? All right, last one. Then we'll do Twitter trending and head on out of here for the day. So this was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. And this is not anything new either, by the way, because people have been doing this forever. Pensacola, Florida, police brought these uh, bought these yesterday at a gun buyback event. Once he demonstrated that they work and they paid him $200 cash each. And yes, the original uh, poster also did point out the fact that this is not the first time this has happened. As long as it works. Good on him. And that's the other thing. Good on him. If it's got a stock and it fires, they want to buy it back, then go and buy it back. Run them up out of money if they can. Now, of course, it sucks that this is going to come back out of the taxpayer's dime, that the city's going to screw the taxpayers out of hundreds and hundreds of dollars to do something like this. But that means that the taxpayers need to come back and hold the government accountable for the fact that the government is screwing them out of all that money. Yeah, those are the guns right there. A 2x4 with a pipe on it and a nail in it for a firing pin. It works, I guess. It's in working order. I don't I quite understand how the action works on the thing. I can't really tell from the pictures, but uh, he got 200 bucks out of it, and apparently they worked. So who am I to question it, I guess? All right, that's going to be it for the day as far as the news. The last thing we do on Tuesday is Twitter trending, and we head on out of here for the day. So let's give this a quick reset, uh, refresh and see what's trending for the day. Number one trending today. Today is National Puppy Day. National Puppy Day gives people the chance to celebrate their four-legged friends. Unfortunately, I don't have a dog. Otherwise, he'd probably be sitting here up on my lap as we talk about this, which would be okay with me, but... No dogs allowed in this uh, particular building, so I don't have a four-legged friends. But I do want to see everybody tweet at me a picture of your dog, if you have a dog, to tweet at me. Because I want to see your dogs for the day. Because it is National Puppy Day. Number two trending is AR-15. Muslim Marine says an AR-15 uses the exact same round my M-16 used when I served in the Marines. Can somebody fact check that for me because I don't know what the M16 uses. I don't know if it's 223 or not. Even as an active duty Marine, our weapons were stored locked in an armory and only permitted during training or war. P.S. The AR-15 is a weapon of war and should not belong in the hands of everyday citizens. Okay, I will buy what you have to say, Muslim Marine. Just show me which military has ever used an AR-15. Matthew Holliday says they use fake science to bring in fake balance. They used a phony insurrection to label us as terrorists and now want to come for our AR-15s and Second Amendment. These people hate America. They hate you and they're dangerous. Know your enemy because they're coming. Uh, apparently, apparently it has come out that the boulder shooter used an AR-15. I don't know if that is true yet or not. I would laugh my ass off. 
if it came out that that wasn't the case, that he wasn't using an AR-15. But, once again, they're going to come back after that thing. And they can come out and they can bring all these pretty statistics of all these shootings where people used an AR-15, and yet still the majority of shootings happen with handguns. The majority of mass shootings in this country happen with handguns. Go ask every town if you don't believe me, because they'll tell you. They'll be reluctant to tell you about that. Peter Dabroska says, if an AR-15 is a weapon of war, why did you use an M-16 when you were in the Marines, you fucking clown? Yeah, it's not a weapon of war. It never has been. I do. I am curious to see what the what the rifle was for this. I mean, it's possible because it's a cheap, and well, not cheap, but it's an easy to access rifle. So it's absolutely possible that that's what he got. But I'm gonna wait for the facts to come out off of this one. We gotta do three more here. The next one is gun reform now. Boulder shooter carried an AR-15. No civilian needs to own or carry such a weapon. Gun reform now. What do you think the, is the most egregious argument for hashtag gun reform now? The victims in Boulder survived a global pandemic. They couldn't survive a national epidemic. Gun reform now. So yes, of course, they're going to come back and call for gun reform at this point. We will skip the Tuesday vibe stuff. Um, from uh, number five, which will be our number four, is National Ag Day. Today we recognize the unique and irreplaceable value of America's farmers, ranchers, farm workers, and producers who feed, fuel, and clothe our nation and the world. Hashtag National Ag Day. Well, I grew up in rural Wisconsin, so I know a lot of farmers, and if you see a farmer or you know a farmer, thank your local farmer. Because today is National Ag Day, and without those farmers, you don't eat. All right. Last one we'll do for the day is apparently Cinnamon Toast Crunch is trending. Why are there shrimp tails in my cereal? This is not a bit. A man has discovered what appears to be shrimp tails in his cereal box. They've been acting fishy for years at Cinnamon Toast Crunch headquarters. Hopefully now our voices are heard. That's amazing. And of course, also, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch Oreo just dropped, but I don't eat carbs, so I'm not going to eat it. So, apparently there were shrimp tails in your Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So, check your Cinnamon Toast Crunch the next time you uh, open up that box, just to make sure, because they usually do that stuff in a big batch, so there probably are going to be a few boxes that come off of this that we see. So, something to watch for as we go. And that is going to be it for the day. So... That's what we have, and we're going to head on out of here for the day. So thanks, everybody, who came by and chatted in the live chat through the day. If you are just lurking right now, get that last-minute message into the live chat so we can make sure that you get thanked on Friday. We thank everybody who chats in the live chat throughout the week every Friday, so I can't thank you if you don't talk. So get that message in there. Otherwise, we'll be back here tomorrow for more Contemporary, talking about more of the news of the day. I'm sure there's going to be more that comes out about this Colorado thing, so we'll see what happens there. We'll see what the press conference says and what the details are that are released, and everything else of the fault that's going to happen from this. And like I said, this is, this, 
just seems really convenient for me, but we'll discuss this more tomorrow after we know more details of what's going on with that. Otherwise, make sure that you are tuning in on uh, Saturday, April 17th for the 24-hour live stream. We're going to start doing some video games in the morning, but funny thing about having Elaine as a co-host is she knows a lot of people who are willing to come on and do stuff for fundraising opportunities here. So we booked a pretty full show at this point. Definitely looking forward to coming on there and seeing what happens that day and seeing all kinds of the fun stuff that happens with that. Looking forward to seeing you guys there as well. Uh, looks like we are looking at $1,000 and John will shave his beard. And at $2,000, this is by Elaine's suggestion, I go clean cut and cut the hair. And we're raising the, the bar on that one here because, as we know, I'm growing my hair for charity. So to get to that much, I'm robbing from one charity and giving to another. So we'll have to start all over again, but we'll get it all cleaned up and nice and ready to go if you guys can push me to $2,000. Hope to see you there as well. But otherwise, come and hang out with me tomorrow for more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. <laughs>